Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome, folks, to the PKN Packaging News Podcast, brought to you today by Ball & Doggett, Australia's largest distributor of printable materials and consumables. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. How are you doing today? And what are we talking about and with whom? Hi, Grant. I'm doing really well today. I'm really thrilled to be here and delighted to be talking about our topic today, which is circular design thinking. We're going to be focusing on the multiple award-winning spice packaging concept developed for Oasis Bakery Retail Outlet in Melbourne by a company called Q Design Enterprise. And with us in the studio today is Michael Griemer. He's the director and he calls himself the chief cat herder um, at packaging and brand design agency Q Design Enterprises. And he's also director of a company called The Pack Collective. Now, Michael, welcome to the studio. Thank you very much, uh, Lindy, and also Grant. Appreciate it. We're so um, thrilled for you and for your award win. But before we start talking about that, I've known you for many, many moons um, in packaging and know your work very well. But for some people who may not know who you are, perhaps you can just give us a little bit of background about yourself in packaging and also about your company. Uh, thanks, Lindy. Uh, yeah, look, it's been been a few moons as well for myself, uh, closing on 30 years uh, in the game, uh, industrial designer by uh, profession, but probably spent easily about 28 years of that in packaging. So, started off designing kettles and gaming machines back in the Canbrook days and uh, had a love for uh, user interaction with uh, with products, that user experience, and then grafting into, uh, into packaging manufacturing. So, I've been fortunate enough to be exposed into designing as a packaging manufacturer, working as a design consultant uh, over a couple of stanzas and most recently in my own business, but also working uh, with, the, with the brand owner as well in my time at Mondelez. So I've had a very fortunate career being exposed across all facets of the, the packaging game. And then most recently in the last few years sort of branched out chasing that customer experience journey into, ironically, the Pack Collective, which sort of the names don't really marry up that well. But uh, but the great thing was working with a really good diverse group of people, really focusing on that consumer experience journey and system thinking, which ironically is probably uh, two of the hallmarks for uh, approaching a circular design solution is working that system thinking methodology and, and working collectively. Well, that brings us to where we are today and the reason that I have you on the show. Last week, um, we had the Packaging Innovation and Design Awards 2021 uh, ceremony, and that saw you, um, your company, and the Oasis Spice Shaker walk off with not one, but two gold awards plus a bronze award. I'm sure you're still reeling from the success, so we thought we'd take this opportunity to take a behind-the-scenes look at the development of this pack. So, Michael, take us Back to the beginning, how did it all come about? And tell us a bit about Oasis. Uh, yes, look, certainly it, uh, the, the win, the wins, and even the bronze uh, took us uh, took our breath away. We certainly weren't expecting that from our wildest dreams. So we're very honoured to, to be. Um, I guess having that, that kudos sent our way from our peers. So really appreciate uh, the Peters and ARP and PKN for running it. So with regards to the project, it's actually um, been a three-year journey, uh, essentially from brief to shelf. We started this uh, journey with uh, the Oasis company back in July 2017 and, and we sort of hit shelf 
pretty much in the middle of our, uh, I think, a lockdown 2.0 in Victoria. Um, so it was certainly quite an interesting time to bring a bring a circular uh, model into the marketplace when reuse products are being essentially banned uh, at, at, uh, at retails. Uh, with regards to Oasis, uh, been a fantastic uh, client for us and and certainly for those that aren't aware of the Oasis brand, they're a bit of an institution here in, in Victoria. It's a, a family-run business, uh, the Lebanese uh, family, the Makul family, uh, set this business up, I think. They celebrated about 29 years last year, so probably close to 30 years they've been been around, based out in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, just off Bayside. But they basically started off as a Middle Eastern uh, grocery store bakery, and they've evolved over that time to become essentially a supermarket and cafe offering. So anyone from, I guess, southeast side of Melbourne uh, would be sort of uh, aware of their sort of offering um, in the marketplace and would go past there and I see Grant's nodding his head uh, as well, so obviously someone who's enjoyed their product, um, but really focusing on essentially a unique, uh, delicious, authentic food with the Middle Eastern twist and flavour, and, uh, and obviously spices play a huge role. Um, in that and part of the cooking uh, process. And uh, so it sort of started off from there. And the spice range, ironically, was a a product that actually had a lot of humour with their product brand on the shelf. And so people, uh, especially my my extended family, they they all knew the brand. As I mentioned, Oasis, they were well aware of them. So, um, so yes, that's where the the background came from. And there were probably three key points that uh, Ali McCall, who's the managing director of the company, um, he had three key goals that he was after um, to achieve with with this new pack. And Spices was the one where, for him, they were basically sitting in a generic packaging format that everyone else had access to, but it really wasn't... Um, I guess, um, ticking all the boxes for him um, with regards to that consumer experience, that brand experience he was trying to get, and he felt the time was right to uh, to look at different options. Um, so he looked at, I guess, three key points. He, he wanted a, a vehicle or the packaging to become a vehicle that told stories. They were very big on storytelling and, and talking a lot about the history, the providence of, of their product. Um, I guess if I put a, an element to that, they looked at, basically having this offbeat humorous store. I've got an example of a pack here. It's called Moroccan Seasoning. So it's it's more rockin' is the way that it's written instead of Moroccan, as we know. Just little little twists of the wordplay um, and a bit of a story on the back of the pack. So that's where they sort of started off with that sort of humorous background. That probably went for about 10 years, from about 2007 to 2016 they had that format. And what they found when they did a rebrand, they lost the ability to do that. It was on your generic sort of round containers um, that have a f- label on top and a small little band on the side. And when they, when you go to buy them on shelf, they needed to, I guess, place them so they're facing lid first on shelf in a, in a dispensing system. Took a lot of space up on the shelf. It wasn't really ideal for, for dispensing. And when you took them home, they're stacked up in the pantry. So all the humorous, the, the storytelling was all lost on the pack itself. So he felt that really wasn't suiting and he wanted a bespoke offer. That sort of led to, I guess, you know, the chance to play stories. But the second point then became about how he better presents that on shelf. So with that issue, with the, with the pack that I dispensed, he wanted something which was essentially sitting uh, like a book. Uh, I guess it was one of the things he actually mentioned to me where he wanted the experience when you go onto the shelf. It's almost like grab, grab a book and you've got the leather spine and you've got the front cover and the back cover and, and they had that book experience. So when you talk took that at home, you could actually lay these spices out almost like in a rack system where you have these series of books you can take out and with the with the label of the spice being on the spine that presented to you. So the journey was not only considered from how you navigated the aisle in his particular store, but 
but also what that experience was like when he took it back home. So that consideration was, for me, great to hear from a client sort of did a half hour work for us that he actually had that correct mind position. Um, and I guess the third part of his driver was really looking at that bigger play of sustainability. So for me to have a client who was you know, CEO position, top of the tree for the brand, actually having that embedded um, understanding of sustainability and wanting to be leading from that, that saved a lot of that education process, which we tend to battle through on many projects over time. Um, and certainly from Ali's uh, position, they were looking to expand the brand. So they had that one key store that everyone in the southeast knew about, and it was just setting up a brand new store out in Fairfield, so the other side of town. And, uh, and that basically was a clean palette and really dialed up all of the cues that he was aspiring to to achieve, being able to uncouple from, I guess, the 30-year legacy they'd built in their original store out in Moorabbin Way and grow a, a fantastic chance to really dial up the consumer experience when you walk into the store, the uh, the almost in gold emblazoned uh, Oasis stamp in the ramp as you walk up, uh, the whole experience is this Middle Eastern feel that sort of wraps around you as you walk through. You've got all the aroma, sensory overload as you walk into the area with the, the kitchen to your right, the restaurant to your left and out the back, a very clean black uh, palette where it's got the main grocery and every single aisle is almost has a design ethos about it as you walk through. And all the products they range in their area have a sustainability bent and a connection. So as a retailer, um, you've got a chance to to curate and control that messaging experience. And Ali, in in their small formats, are able to do it. And that really gave us the perfect platform to enable to, I guess, lead towards a circular solution because we can control that journey from store, people entering the store to going all the way through. Well, first of all, my question is, when are they coming to Sydney? <laughs> um, but I guess you can't answer that on behalf of Ellie. Um, but what you described there um, just sounds conceptually so amazing um, and a truly delicious experience in terms of engagement, never mind the packaging, which I do want to move on to talk about in more detail now. So you described the original pack as being a circular pack, and I've seen some images of it. Um, from a packaging design perspective, what was the problem that needed to be solved from the original packaging to the new design? And can you also then tell us a, a bit about the new pack's design features? Yes, yes. So certainly, I guess one of the one of the three points that he he talked about was about that better positioning of their spice on shelf. So being round, uh, again, it was quite a low format pack. These these spices were selling, I think, around two hundred gram, uh, even some as low as one hundred and fifty gram. Just to clarify, when we're talking about a round packaging, to describe it to listeners, it's like the pack we use for a dip or a hummus dip or, a, or olives. So it is round, flat, circular. Correct. Yes, exactly. So it's it's your standard generic sort of dip container, your, your round ones you might see in your large big box retailers. So that was the traditional format. So when you navigate the dip aisle, that sort of packaging format is what uh, Ali had in place for his spices. And as you would see, when you go through that, that category, they tend to be stacked up on each other. So you've got a very narrow branding area. Now for Oasis brand, they were big on storytelling. So that wasn't enough brand real estate on the pack. So they actually had the packs displayed lid first. So rather than stacked up, they were basically almost like a um, the old uh, cigarette packaging was sort of laid out um, to be dispensed. So you got lid first and they were basically spiral out. So you could imagine a shelf where these round discs are all displayed essentially. Great from a brand perspective, really poor utilisation of space. 
really uh, a lot of issues with regards to actually trying to dispense the item. Very awkward to try and get to even the bottom stack when you're at home when you've got three or four of these spices stacked up. Um, and also they were a mechanical tamper evidence as well. So they were always a little bit fiddly to uh, to play with. So again, that element of experience wasn't really really appeasing to the Oasis brand. And they wanted something more ownable as well. And that's, I guess, where someone like myself comes into play, where he was working already, Ali was already working with a, a brand designer, um, B-Tribe. So, so Daniel was involved in, in helping, I guess, the rebranding. And at that point, they found a bit of a gap in how do we now convey this shift from generic into something bespoke and really, you know, jumping off the shelf and giving a complete experience, not only in store, but also at home. And that's where they sort of employed myself into, into the project. Um, so that was, I guess, one of the key drivers. And, and that's when, I guess, we started looking about the way that people interact with the product. So it's not about you just breaking off a tab, opening up a lid and getting a spoon and just randomly putting it out we wanted to have something which is a bit more engaging so when we looked at the brief if i was to draw a, a visual parallel for the for the audience it's almost like an oversized tic-tac container essentially it's it's quite a rectangular pack quite tall slender so certainly from a, a packaging perspective you've almost got vertical walls and when we design packaging we want to make sure that we're shipping things around efficiently things nest together um, but the great thing was because it was this this tall rectangular box, um, it was very space efficient. It had a beautiful placard that we could put a lot of great branding real estate on there for the storytelling and, and, and the brand navigation. Uh, as an example, there's over 200 spices that Ali ranges in his category. So you haven't got your 10 or 15 or 30 or 50 you might have at most big box stores. He's got 200 to 220. So you could imagine a, a very large category with these beautiful clear boxes all the way across the front um, with this beautiful navigation in alphabetical order across the, um, across the pack. Going a high clarity was very important as well. So again, if you look at a Tic Tac container as an example, they're traditionally in a very polished polystyrene look at some possibly PET. Um, that wasn't going to really cut it for us from a point of view of what we need to do in, in production. So we looked at a polypropylene material with a high polish. But what it did is when you've got a beautiful contact clarity with that material, you've got this parade, a kaleidoscope of colours, different spices pressed up against the inside of the wall and it really makes a great splash of colour across the category aisle. So that was another critical point that Ali was trying to get across in the pack. And then I guess the third point, when we take it back at home, that interaction you have with the spice pack at home, apart from the improved navigation, so when you're stacking these up in your shelf or your pantry, you now navigate via the spine. Each each um, container has a has a name of the spice on the on the rear spine of the of the box, so it's easy to navigate through like you are going in a library. Um, but the key thing was when you come to actually interact and put your spices into your cooking. So we developed a two part dispensing system at the top of the unit. So one half actually had your traditional uh, spooning uh, method, which sort of was prevalent with the old pack. So we had to design uh, an aperture and opening that allowed one half to flip open and design it in a way which was large enough to allow a teaspoon to go in 
and for you to decan all the way to the bottom of the container, so considering the length and height of the container, where your hand is and the length of the spoon, but also make sure that we obviously have the right, I guess, packing efficiency of the size of the container for the right height, the right width, the right uh, balance to make sure they stack nicely, they fit on the shelf, and they're actually stable because they are you know, narrow rectangular boxes, so they want to make sure they're stable and they're standing up. And the second half of the flip top lid then also has a um, um, the actual shakers themselves as well. So we have these little holes that we shake through. So we want to make sure that when you're opening and closing, you've got that beautiful audible clickback so you know it's fully sealed. Um, it was designed in a way to make sure that any of the very fine spices actually stayed inside the packs. You didn't have this, this powder egress from it during the use. Um, but also now we should do just simply you choose which way you want to dispense the product to interact with the spice. You flip aside, you shake and you reclose and you put basically back into the order. So it was a nice little little balance from functionality and our challenge was to deliver that functionality but also make sure that it was cost effective, it, it minimised the amount of materials but still made, made it feel quite sturdy in hand um, as well as a fine balance between that um, and, and also making sure that again when we designed the actual footprint of the pack it was making it small enough to allow the teaspoon to go through and have that balance but also um, and fit the shelf but also big enough to have that stability and hold the, the 200 variations of products he has to try and fill into the actual pack. You're listening to the PKN Podcast by Yaffa Media. We'll be right back after this. Navigating the balance of sustainable and innovative packaging solutions is key in today's highly competitive market. Ball and Doggett provide the foundation for creating and driving best-in-class packaging offerings and those high-value applications. Bringing together leading local and world-class brands, empowering you to do more to manage your packaging opportunities for better environmental outcomes. Ball and Doggett, Australia's largest distributor of printable materials and consumables. Providing the raw materials that turn big ideas into real-world solutions. Talk to our product specialists on 1300 024 749. And now, let's get back to the discussion on the PKN podcast. Well, I mean, that's those are lots of boxes that you tick there, um, spice boxes, and they certainly sound like a beautiful library of packaging. Never considered that on the shelf books of poetry, really. Um, that's what you're telling me there. So um, I did want to know now, though, Michael, tell me a little bit more about the actual packaging development, because as you said earlier, this thing was three years in the making, started with some conversations, I'm sure, and then it started with that intensive design process that I know you are so good at. Um, tell us a bit about how this pack was developed and how you prototyped it. Uh, yes, look, certainly. Um, and the great thing was that there was a good, clear vision um, from Ali and, and especially when he's working through the brand restructure, that helped That helped a lot because we already had enough challenges as it stood with regards to delivering this product in a packaging development process, let alone trying to flush out which direction we could go with this product. So once we narrowed down to essentially this sort of, uh, again, tic-tac type format, the great thing was all of our focus was around trying to deliver that experience, but making sure that it was delivered in a fully functional manner that was cost-effective, considered of the material usage, but also didn't compromise 
the consumer experience that Ali was really trying to achieve. So we obviously started off with with some visuals that we'd worked um, worked off uh, and in tandem with Daniel from, from our B tribe. So once we had the visuals in place, our job was to try and convert essentially a a design that you could not nest, you could not stack. Um, that that there was a desire to have tamper evidence, but we didn't want to go the mechanical tamper evidence route because it really wouldn't be cost effective. Um, the, the key thing for Ali is that because he is a small brand, a, a couple of stores, we're not talking huge volumes. So we, we weren't wanting to chase a, a high volume product where you could really justify spending uh, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on tooling. You want to be very, very smart with what he still wanted to achieve. From a packaging function point of view, we still needed to firstly protect the product. So we want to make sure that we, we kept a moisture barrier with the contents being a dry spice in particular, that there was tamper evidence. Now, we weren't looking at doing induction sealing or putting foils, and we didn't want to go off and make the tooling overly complicated by putting a mechanical brake tab on there. So we actually worked with some of the brand elements and actually decided, well, there's a unique element you have, and a lot of that stems down to you hand fill your product. This is not a machine fill product. So because you hand fill, you've got this label you can actually apply onto the top, like a seal of authenticity, um, that sort of uh, the fact that it's handmade, handcrafted, which it is, then that pack, why can't we use that label to be your tamper evidence device? So that became one huge benefit for us to not worry about that mechanical challenge. So we actually tested that out in relation to filling up various uh, prototype samples and seeing how that label would go. But then obviously trying to get that balance between the size. So we basically took the concept into 3D. Um, we did, a, I guess, a design for manufacturing, for want of a better word. We, we looked at the volumes, the 200 mil target we were trying to aim. Um, and then we also made sure that we, we really challenged and pushed the moulding aspect in regards to the way the actual container would be formed. So if you can imagine, we have vertical walls, and that can be quite a challenge to take off the tool. So we need to really focus on getting a very tight draft angle so it could actually maximise the volume, stand up quite uh, quite high on the pack, but also allow it to demould off the tooling as well. So that, that was some of the, the challenges that we were obviously looking at on that particular design. So, Michael, can you talk me through some of the um, the techniques that you used to to model this? Um, I believe you did make use of three D printing. Uh, yes, we did. Yeah, that was that was actually uh, used about three times. So we went the older alpha, beta, gamma process on uh, on this, and it was quite critical. So again, the the first uh, visual that we were working towards was quite a narrow pack, and so as we expected. Um, the first alpha model that we had wasn't overly stable. Uh, it was sort of building around where the vision was going initially. We needed to sort of, I guess, stress test how that would be from a stability point of view, but also the way that would feel in hand. So we, we felt that it may not feel robust enough in the hand during use. We didn't want something a little bit too delicate in the hand during the cooking process. You want things a bit more robust, but also importantly, the way that you would actually place the teaspoon into the unit to actually enable it easy uh, removal and use of a heaped spoon of spice potentially. So alpha model certainly helped do that. So we did 3D printed SLS models. We wanted things that were quick turnaround, enabled us some element of functionality. We weren't concerned about clarity. We just wanted something that was really gave us a form and function. And it was a really good tool to use with Ali, who hadn't really experienced this uh, this method of uh, interaction uh, before, but it really gave him confidence about the direction. But the great thing for us, it was able to use as a really good education tool to highlight where some of the challenges were with the concept and what methods we could put forward 
to modify the design and then go towards beta model, which is what we did. And the great thing was after that alpha model, we then started considering about the way this would sit on shelf. We sort of had that conversation about if you were putting in shippers, how many would this lay out on shelf? We have to play with the depth of the, of the pack. That impacted the balance. And then it gave us a chance to reorientate the way the opening on the closure for the teaspoon would work. So it was presented in basically a horizontal format rather than vertical, which was the original original concept, which meant you twisting your hand around unnaturally to work with the product, and we wanted to keep everything as natural as possible. So that beta model allowed us to do that, and then we went to a gamma when it came to really that fine-tuning, and that fine-tuning involved looking at doing some finesse uh, around uh, efficiency for packing. So obviously with this pack, we were looking to have it made. Um, we looked at local as well as offshore opportunities, and therefore freight and shipping and handling became very critical. And so part of that was making some modifications on that aspect ratio of the pack to make sure it ticked all the boxes for containerization, um, nesting, shipping, still working well with a teaspoon, still enabling amount to come out from the shaker. So a lot of fine-tuning and balancing and the prototyping was a way just to give confidence in a very quick low-cost manner for the client to make sure and sense check along the journey that we're on the right path rather than us, us going and spending tens of thousands of dollars on a, on a tool and then finding out their problem. We're only spending less than a thousand dollars on a sample and our time for modification to validate that the idea was, was correct in principle. Yeah, 3D, 3D printing, what that's done for prototyping um, is, is just amazing. So, a big part of the sustainability story, of course, is the materials that are used for the packaging. Talk us through the decision that you made on materials for both the pack and the closure. Uh, yes, so so uh, the great thing with this project, it, it, it and with Ali in particular, it, it allowed us to evolve during the journey. Certainly, the the refill, um, return, recycle model um, sort of evolved during the the element of, of this project. And certainly, once we educated Ali about the material choice, we definitely started looking towards polypropylene as a starter, um, and that was really to aim to tick that box on recyclability as well. So we we did originally entertain some more durable materials um, that were not sort of seen as recyclable. Um, and then we pivoted straight into understanding that we wanted this pack to be recycled at the end of life should reuse not actually be a play. And so the polypropylene was certainly um, a material we chose predominantly for the moisture barrier attributes that it had, which worked well with spices. Um, also the fact that it had great contact clarity, which we were chasing with regards to this particular product. It was a cost-effective medium. We, we did entertain PET at one point for the body, and that was mainly to mimic that, that very high high um, finish, but it was becoming quite a, a challenging material to work with for the injection moulding versus a polypropylene, which had all great attributes already, um, cost-effective and more process-friendly for what we were achieving. With regards to the closure, uh, again, we always like to ideally work with a mono material across everything, and that would be all physical parts going together as well as any labelling that might be affixed to the product and that way whatever is going out into the recycling stream has one polymer to deal with which makes that far that job which is already complex enough far simpler. Um, the benefit with the closure is that we actually designed it as a two-part system so rather than try and go for a single part and therefore lead to very complex tooling and making compromises both on functionality but also very high capital outlay for the client, we try to simplify two parts and have them snap together. So there was a manual aspect post-moulding for those two parts 
of the lid to go together. So one that has the, the two wings on the top that cover both the spoon dispensing and the shaker and obviously the bottom housing that holds that top part of the lid that closes up the actual unit itself. Um, so again, polypropylene was an ideal material. It works very good when you look at snap locks, which is what we have. We have a press fit, which is one way, and that locks that wing top lead into the bottom. And once that's pressed in the line, that's pretty much locked in and will not come out. And the other key benefit of polypropylene was our desire to incorporate uh, an integral hinge. And that integral hinge is essentially the top part of the lid. So when you flip up one end, it has an integral hinge built in and it has two of them on the actual item. And that's activated once the part is molded. So it really ticked the box on functionality. Um, it gave us the the appearance we we're after. It had that warmth in hand and quite a durable material. So um, when we're looking as we start to develop the product, really educating um, Ali, but also building off his very strong base and belief um, and honest belief in sustainability, that that made us comfortable. We we chose the right material. There was only one point we looked at maybe considering moving towards a more durable material, like say polycarbonate, which we'd done before probably 15 years earlier on another refill pack that we designed where we aim to design things to last longer because you don't want them to be essentially thrown out. Um, but we knew at some point in time this would end up going to the recycling stream and we felt there were enough attributes that polypropylene provided us, certainly in the recycling area, but more importantly gave us that, that high quality through numerous uses at a refill reuse level. So this brings me to the natural next step uh, to talk about is the circularity concept. Um, there is a recycling and the refilling and a bring back idea here. Can you talk us through that, please? Yeah, look, certainly if I was to in put a, a little title to it, the circularity on this project really stemmed to, to three steps. It was the refill, the return and the recycle. And that really did evolve uh, during the project. And uh, as I said, you know, it was great that Ali already had that that DNA in mind from the start. So it wasn't so much of a, of a battle or a fight to try and uh, convince the thinking. It was more just building off that as a platform. Um, so I certainly recall uh, probably even, even when we got to that tooling stage, actually, we were sharing information from Alan MacArthur's uh, New Plastic Economy um, vision, uh, flexible packaging guidelines, and even circular economy models for reuse with Ali, just to try and give the confidence that, hey, this has been done before, there's plenty of examples, and this is actually where, as an industry, we are actually heading to in the next three to five years and become the norm. So, as a brand owner and as a retailer, he was at the forefront of influencing change at that level. Um, the great thing was Ali was already on that page and he was just looking for mechanisms to deliver it. So the first part, I guess, was looking at that refill. And in order for the refill, it, it obviously any refill model, you, you provide a device, which is the unit, which in this case is our shaker, but then normally you have a bulk item that goes with it. So you would buy the first item being the shaker and then for the refill methodology to be applied at home, a consumer has to go back to the store and buy a larger bulk version. They're getting cost benefits from their side and they refill at home as they require. So in this case, Ali, he actually had a, a range of uh, flexible packaging, which was sort of one kilo formats. Uh, the spice packs hold anywhere between 50 gram to 200 gram based on the density of the product across the 200 SKUs. So you would obviously go in, you'd buy your spice pack, you buy a refill pack, and then obviously you go home. And we designed the lid in a way where you could take the lid off, refill, and press with the lid back on and still maintains functionality. 
Now, to tie up that refill part, one of the things that we identified was that essentially the pouches weren't recyclable. Um, we obviously spoke about the red cycle scheme, returning soft plastics. And normally, most brand owners, that's pretty much their only option when it comes to soft plastics. We've now got roll and recycle for monomaterials, so that, that options are opening up. But in this particular case, Oasis is a retailer of their own. The last thing they want to do is direct their customers to go to another big box retailer when they want to come back to their own store. So, and Red Cycles, the model is pretty much wedded to those big box retailers, not to smaller outlets for scale of economy, which makes complete sense. So, there's a bit of a gap for Ali on here. And this is where he actually pivoted quite well. So because they have a cafe on, on site in both their areas, have a restaurant, they have a reground um, model. So it's a company called Reground where they actually come to these stores, grab all their, their coffee finds and take them back for, for reuse. But they also, the great thing is they have a collection system. So we basically, or Ali basically put in place a piggyback system. So when they come to pick up their grounds, they can also pick up soft plastics. And that soft plastic goes back, collected and actually recycled. So he essentially worked in essentially a bespoke red cycle model using reground as his, his collection device. And so he changed all of the packaging for flexible refill bags to a high barrier monopolymer film. So fully recyclable, um, labelled that on the base as well so consumers are well aware of it. And that's when that tie-up logo, which I'll talk to shortly, comes into play. So he fixed up the infrastructure in the stores for collection he educated the consumers on on uh, on that play, and then married the two parts on shelves. So when you bought your shaker in the same aisle, you had your refill pack, and that's that's where that that sort of model sort of came to to the bear. And the other part was that return aspect. So we the the idea was to allow customers to basically return the empty spice shakers back into the store, and that gave a chance to actually get a credit on that return container, should you not wish to refill or you feel you've it's had enough wear and tear, I want to bring it back, you return it back to store, you get a small discount for your next spice purchase. And then essentially what uh, Oasis do is that they all hand fill on site, which is, again, another benefit. There's no lag time there at all um, to send somewhere else. They basically de-label the item, they clean and sanitise it, they dry it and they refill. And, uh, and they, they leave. The only thing they have to put on you really is that front label. The side labels can be still used. It's just the tamper evident label has to be replaced. So it reduces the amount of materials required and it's incentive being uh, brought back. The challenge we had, of course, was COVID. So this was launched pretty much in June in Melbourne. So when every, all reuse was pretty much uh, put back, thank you for Ali, unlike most businesses, he was able to trade quite well and, and successfully during that period because he actually had a, a restaurant, a cafe attached to his business, and it was a supermarket. So that was a, a benefit for him across the board. But they, that is the goal. So we know that's what we want with the systems in place to do it. It was just obviously tailored to deal with the, the issue at, at the moment. And I guess the other part was that, okay, on that return part, what's the vehicle that we're using to communicate that? And so that's where the Oasis loop um, was actually developed. And on the actual pack, essentially, there's a beautiful uh, graphic uh, tie-up that Daniel and Ali worked on, which basically links up the actual spice pack as a label that identifies that same logo on the actual flexible pack. And that's rolling out across other formats in the store. So you now really got a one-stop shop. You come, you buy your product, you've got the uh, a system in place, an infrastructure in place, more importantly, Importantly, that when you go back for your next shop, you've got now an option to get a credit back, deliver the item, and, and Ali basically is now becoming the uh, you know producer responsibility role, taking what he came back, 
clean it, sanitize it, and reuse it. From his point of view, you know, he's saving money and actually um, reducing the amount of products to be designed. And it was for me, it was wrapped to actually design a product where my brief to many suppliers was our goal is to make less packaging. Are you comfortable with that? Because this is our target volume. We actually want to make less of this over time. So that was the that was the huge benefit. So that that was the refill and the reuse. And of course, we had to consider end of life. So at some point in time, be it the consumer or be it Ali when he gets a pack coming back, it may be cracked or damaged or beyond repair, or I can't reuse it again, there's no point. How does it go in recycling? And so that was again one of the drivers for us. So we ran it through our prep tool in the background. The number of combinations to look at, making sure the label adhesive was recyclable, the label stock was the same stock as the material we chose for the body in the container. Um, and then obviously one of the key things was noting that it had to be um, disposed of as one piece, uh, essentially, because we, we do have a black uh, part on the on the top of the item. It's only a small section, but still there may be a chance that if it was dispensed off by itself, it would not get picked up on, on the, um, the infrared uh, sensors. Um, so therefore, we even investigated putting a master batch tracing device um, into that. So we've actually got that ready to go. It really just comes down to a commercial decision. So that's an option if we choose to do it. The other part we looked at as well, again, just looking to limit its uh, its footprint, was actually looking to use this as a really good test vehicle for using a post-consumer recycled polypropylene. So we actually researched that uh, probably about mid-2019, early 2019. So I reached out to, to Ed Kozer, who's, who's uh, Kozer at Next Tech, who's the, probably the world leader in this space and uh, and certainly crunch some numbers to see how we can make this play and and again we're a small volume so we just need a bit more scale so certainly if there are any parties out there listening who are keen to do a post-consumer recycle pp i'm happy to band a group together and justify getting some material in to actually put this into the marketplace so that's certainly a goal for us to to test out we know commercially it'll be a challenge but i think it's important for us to to test this journey out, put it in the marketplace, understand what works and what doesn't, and really create demand and drive for people to start thinking in this particular manner. Yeah, I think that um, this is a, a classic example of of trialing something on a reasonably small scale, really, to see um, what's possible. And then w- when you know what's possible, being able to scale that up, because pretty soon we're going to have to be scaling up all of the, these sorts of circular models on different materials for packaging. Now, um, Thank you for that fantastic explanation. What I'm keen to know now is what has been the market response? How have Ellie's customers responded to this whole new concept? Oh, look, certainly um, it's it's been highly positive. Um, it's quite funny. I, I did a couple of posts just, you know, uh, after our win. I was quite excited with that both in, you know, LinkedIn and, and Facebook. And I was quite surprised how many of my friends are just so well aware of the Oasis brand and, and keen, avid buyers of the product. So it's certainly an institution in relation to uh, their brand, but certainly getting cut through. Um, as far as the numbers, we'll put a metric to it. It's had a 50% increase. So 50% increase across the category, which is, which is huge. And and considering the fact, as I mentioned earlier, we weren't designing to sell more. We were just designing to um, make an impact on shelf, giving a really improved user experience um, and really elevate the brand as well to his current audience. And I think also the fact that he's opened up his second store in the the northern part of town up in Fairfield. He's had a clean slate uh, comparing that store. Everything sings the same song sheet, which is beautiful. So from a brand experience, as soon as you walk in the door, 
every single touch point in the store um, is curated to, to match that Oasis experience, that authenticity, the Middle Eastern roots. And, and this system they've got in place is now becoming a regular um, element. They're rolling across the store in other areas. So I'm very keen to see, you know, post-COVID when we roll out the, the full model, um, how this is being adopted. But certainly um, many people already have um, have uh, spoken quite positively about the, the way the brand has, has rolled through. And Ali's always... Uh, you know, pushing the envelope, asking for, for more things and, and challenging a few areas. And uh, I'm looking forward to continuing that journey with him and the team. Well, I'm hoping that if he's not going to move to Sydney in the near future, he perhaps starts an online trading model um, for the spices, if nothing else. Well, where to from here now, Michael? The uh, awards that you've won have qualified you to enter those pack that packaging into the world stars um, for this pack design. What's next after that for Q Design? Uh, yeah, look, well, certainly, um, look, I'm, Ali's, Ali and myself are quite wrapped in another, another tilt at World Stars, uh, personally as well. I've, I've been looking forward to giving another whirl. Um, but as far as uh, the business, the good thing with this for me personally is actually having a circular model on shelf. Um, uh, we, we worked on one. Uh, actually, did get one to shelf with uh, with the cheese grater product back in two thousand and five. But before refill was even sort of understood as any value, it was quite seen as something quirky, to be honest. Um, so for me, it's it's been fifteen twenty years um, in the making to get this out into the marketplace at a level where the market's aware of it and understand and appreciate that the the thinking of circularity. And as you correctly point out, Lindy, it's it's on a small scale, almost like a pilot trial essentially. So for me, a lot of the products. Were we're working on at the moment are definitely under the sustainability umbrella. I'd probably say 60 to 70% of the work that we're doing currently is in that space. Um, the benefit that working with Oasis has been is that the customers already come in with a fair education and an authenticity about what sustainability means to him. And there wasn't too much of a gap. It was actually refined to that next level, which is circularity. Um, there's still a battle in the industry with, I guess, the perceived greenwash about what is sustainable versus what actually is. What does it actually mean? Um, so, we spent a lot of time dealing with that understanding um, and we're actually helping a lot in relation to not only their impact from you know how they make their pack more recyclable so ticking a prep box or hitting off an ARL box but actually looking at well first technology um, especially when it comes to moving towards barrier papers um, when we're dealing with high oxygen barrier materials um, which is quite a challenge at what point do you pivot from, you know, making something recyclable versus compostable, um, trying to make wise decisions and, and then understanding the complexities that come into that. So, there's a lot of that material science and helping customers navigate their way forward. And I think realising, actually educating customers that there's no silver bullet solution. Um, every project we, we're given, there's a myriad of attributes that we have to consider. And sometimes that might lead us down a track that probably challenges where we feel the ideal solution is going to be. And that may be based on where technology is sitting today. Um, more often, it's based on a lack of infrastructure that we have, especially in this country, to help support things like, you know, uh, I guess, compostable packaging to be disposed at curbside uh, green waste, for instance, and, and the gaps that might be there, or, or having access for correct disposal for, for packaging um, for when you're off-premise um, versus being on-premise. There's a few few gaps there that we're doing our best as a design firm, I guess, to move from just being focused about making widgets and using 3D printing or making samples to actually thinking strategically on their behalf and making sure they're making wise choices, but also demystifying and probably 
trying to pull down misinformation and, and misunderstanding about what actually is sustainable. And, and that tends to conflict, I guess, when we, we overlay where we see the industry versus consumer perception derived by media, it can be quite a bit of a chasm. So our job is to try and respect both angles and try and educate that gap in between. Well, thanks very much for that overview of this wonderful success story that shows us just how using well-designed packaging to tell a brand story can be successful and also to deliver a circular model to the market. Thanks very much for joining us, Michael. We wish you every success at the World Stars. It's been great talking to you. Thank you very much, Lindy and PKN, and appreciate the, uh, the chat. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Lindy. And thank you, audience, for joining us on this episode, which has been brought to you today by Ball & Doggett, Australia's largest distributor of printable materials and consumables. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the PKN Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.